This is All the Cool Parts number 34. What's up, everybody? Welcome to All the Cool Parts, number 34. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman. This time on All the Cool Parts, we have a super vocal group, <laughs> room full of teeth, and we have an interview with their founder and music director, Brad Wells. just a little bit about Roomful of Teeth before we get into my interview with Brad. They really propelled into everybody's consciousness last year when one of their members, one of the singers, Caroline Shaw, her piece, uh, Partita for Voices, won the Pulitzer Prize in Music last year in two- uh, 2013 and she became the youngest person to ever win that prize um, I she was unknown to me and uh, you know she, her win was really kind of a, a surprise to everybody and I, I think it's one of the best Pulitzer picks in a long long time um, but the Pulitzer usually uh, is Oh, in the past, it's been largely won by very established older composers. And of course, there have been exceptions, you know, along the way. But um, this was, I think, a surprise to everybody. And uh, it really propelled this album and the sales of this album, the awareness of this album. So this album went to number one on the classical charts, on iTunes, and... um, a lot of people started to become aware of it, and they just came off a Grammy win a few weeks ago um, for a Best Chamber Music Performance <clears throat> in the classical category. And uh, I, I've been wanting to get Brad on the show for a while because I've I've really loved this album for a while. I wanted to do a show about it. And uh, when they won the Grammy, I have to admit my first reaction was, oh, shit. <laughs> because, I don't know, I just thought that well, now everybody's going to want to interview him. I'm not going to be able to interview him. But that turned out not to be the case. He was uh, nice enough to uh, come on, and we had a great conversation about the music. And, uh, you know, it's really a groundbreaking, very new concept for a vocal group and for vocal music. And to really do what they do, and we talk about this in the interview, you know, they they have to... Uh, have new pieces written for them they have to and you will definitely if you haven't heard the album you will hear why that's true um but the group room full of teeth is full of a bunch of very very talented people who can do a lot of different things uh with their voices and how they continually learn new styles of singing from around the world and uh and uh, incorporate this into their music and really some of the members can come off sounding like they've been singing in these styles for years and years and years you know when really they only learned these styles maybe a year ago you know or, or two years ago so with that I think you know we say pretty much everything else um, about the group uh, in the interview if you'd like to check out the group Go to their website at roomfulofteeth.org 
And uh, there's links to all kinds of things to check them out and video and audio and uh, video on, uh, you know, how they work and their process with other composers. It's very, very interesting. Uh, so definitely check out their website and you can read about Brad and all the other members of the group. So without further ado, let's go to our interview with leader of the group, founder of the group, conductor of the group, Brad Wells. Welcome, Brad Wells, to all the cool parts. Thanks so much to being here. For you being here, it's awesome to have you. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for coming on. Um, a lot of incredible things have happened to you and your group over the past year. And <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um, the the Pulitzer Prize, uh, the, a Grammy that you guys just won. Um, I mean, is it indescribable? How does it feel? I know you didn't start this group. It wasn't that long ago. That's right. We started in 2009 um, with our, our first summer residency. That's sort of our, our um, home base is getting together in the summer for a few weeks and building repertoire. So that, yeah, our first one was 2009, not, not that long ago. And the album we recorded... Um, let's see, is it end of 2012? No. End of 2011, released October of, no. End of 2012, <laughs> released in 13, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so the album was just released last year. That's right. I mean, man, obviously, I mean, could you have ever envisioned... It, no, yeah, not, not really. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, you. It, it's funny. You, you, you don't think about well. What's what's the best case scenario? The best case scenario is that people will get into the album. And, yeah. Um, and that's certainly happening. And these um, formal sort of uh, special recognition honors are a great um, avenue for that. That certainly, it's like you know jet engines to to get the word out so you know it's it's obviously best case scenario um in in a number of ways uh but yeah there was no way nobody was anticipating any of this and i remember very clearly um a few weeks before the album release coming back from a radio interview with a couple of the singers and um we were so excited i mean just we love our music and we love the project and we know it's unique um but we were talking ourselves down saying, you know, this very possibly and probably will just be one of those little quiet things that slips out there and a few friends get into it, but, but then everybody moves on. So um, <laughs> we were ready for that. And that's not exactly what happened. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, um, you know, to go from that expectation to being introduced by Cindy Lauper on stage and then having her kind of be blown away by your performance and that must have been surreal kind of yes yeah definitely <laughs> surreal <laughs> um so uh you know one thing that i love about room full of teeth and your whole concept about room full of teeth is obviously obviously you know it's not your typical choir you know where you get together and you do uh traditional standard choir repertoire you know you're singing in all these different styles you have to i'm guessing you know you really have to commission new pieces i mean where are you going to get the repertoire if you don't <laughs> commission new pieces you know it, like this like the pieces that are on the album and um the other thing i thought was cool was that it's not just a static choir where you bring in singers and they just sing you're continually uh, uh, you know, training, yep. you, you know, bringing in people that can do, uh, you know, really specialized uh, vocal techniques and stuff and really continuously training the singers to do new things and explore new ground. And yeah, I mean, was it that, that was that your initial uh, kind of conception that this is what you guys were going to be doing? Very much so. Yep. That, that was my idea that, um, that the personnel would stay as stable as possible so 
that it would be a, a, a process of addition. Um, and, and each year we'd cycle around and meet a, new, a few new techniques and sometimes revisit old ones. Seniors would keep working on the ones that they had previously studied. Um, repertoire would make use of those techniques, come around to another season, meet a few new techniques. Composers would listen in on what's sort of on the plate now, where are the singers now in terms of their, their technical facilities, right for the group as it is now. They, you know, same composer I could imagine encountering the group five years down, even if it's the same personnel, um, their vocabulary of, of um, things they can do with their voices are going to be hopefully expanded. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely was part of the process, uh, yeah. part of the idea, part of the idea from the beginning. Right, right. And what was, uh, I mean, what made you just sit down initially in the very, very beginning, even before you contacted singers and just what made you say to yourself, this is what I want to do. This is the kind of group I want to put together. Um, well, I've been thinking since college actually of, of a new music vocal ensemble. I think the, um, the idea of, Using taking advantage of uh, a broader notion of the singing voice is something is an idea that's been inspiring to me from from the eighties, and and I think I I I didn't know how to to put it into practice. Every now and then I'd gather some singers and try some things. I was often going to different workshops and talking to. Um, you know, tube and throat singers or talking to new music people to say, what do you think of this idea? Or what do you think of um, if, you know, yeah, you're studying opera, but could you also imagine studying, um, uh, you know, yodeling or something? Um, and often I got positive responses, though not always. And and I, I think it was just a, a lot of taking a lot of time to kind of chew on it conduct standard groups of different sizes, uh, watch how ensembles are put together, both instrumental and vocal groups. And um, and then eventually, yeah, it came together as this sort of um, partly a laboratory. I'd, and, and I think some of it is that I, I ended up landing in western Massachusetts near Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art, MassMOCA, mm -hmm. which is this wide open space. I mean, it's, it's a huge space. It's a, it's a retrofitted space that was a, a mill and then was an electric um, uh, supply factory. And that closed in the 80s. And eventually they, they brought it back to life as this contemporary art space. And not just visual art, but um, arts, uh, performing arts and, and visual arts. And they, one of their, the parts of their mission is that they um, bring in artists for short and longer term residencies. So, so just down the street, I saw this site where we could hang out. I could gather people um, from these different communities, and it could be a sort of laboratory for this project. And maybe it wouldn't work, but um, but at least I've got the the support, kind of a basic support system, um, ready to go. Uh, so the, I, th I think it was a, a combination of all these different things that yeah, yeah. helped help the idea come together. And uh, speaking of the singers themselves, um, how did you go about putting together this group? Was it like an audition process? Were there specific people that you already had in mind that you wanted to approach? Or how did that work? There were a few singers I knew of in New York, and I, I had my eye on them. And I actually had communicated with them a year or so before, just kind of, Testing about testing out their availability and interest and that sort of thing, but for the most for the most part, I just put out calls, an audition call for this project, um, and heard a lot of people, not just classical singers, but for some reason early on, I thought <coughs> uh, young singers in um, kind of in the Broadway world could be a good fit because a lot of them I knew had sung classically before they started Broadway, so they might have those chops as well as the kind of Broadway belty skills. Um, but in most cases that that didn't really, they, they didn't fit the model because one of the things they don't do is 
put together hard new music super fast, you know? <laughs> right. So, so, and that I needed people who could sight read like crazy, um, had really good ears and all that. So I ended up, um, pulling pretty much exclusively from the, the classical music field, but not, ne not necessarily even classical mu singers, you know, Caroline Shaw does some singing as you know, but she's, um, She's also a very active violinist, and that's where her education is. Um, right. Playing. Right, right, right. Um, so let's, if you don't mind, let's just go mm -hmm. get right into the music. Sure. So I, I chose uh, six excerpts from uh, this album that we're going to kind of talk about, and it's, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's tough to, to pick just six excerpts, you know, but I have to just so the you know podcast doesn't end up being three hours long yeah um so the uh the first excerpt that i picked was from william Brittell's amid the minotaurs and uh i'll be totally honest like how i first thought about this piece when i first heard this piece man i didn't know what to think of it hmm. uh it's like it's a very at least for me it was the, on the first listen i mean it's going through so many things so quickly mm -hmm. it's a very hard to digest you know on the it first is. listen yep. i'm like what what is going on yeah and the more i listen to it man this is it has become one of my favorite tracks on the whole cd yeah. I, I i love this track <laughs> yeah i love it um you know Back when I was teaching composition, you know, you always try to get composition students, like new composition students will come into their lesson. And one of the biggest problems with young composers is learning how to develop, you know, to develop hmm. ideas. Mm -hmm. And so one of the biggest problems is they come in with pieces with forms like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know what I mean? Right. right. <laughs> and so that's kind of what this is like. Mm -hmm. But it works. Yep. so well and i don't know why i i don't know if that's because of the human voice element i think this you know it does have this stream of consciousness kind of non sequitur right dreamlike state but because of the human voices it all it does feel like this kind of kind of dream you know and it it really mm. works for mm -hmm. me you know that's how it felt um yeah how how did how do you feel about this piece? I, it's interesting your your to hear your response because it's very much how it felt putting this piece and Bill's pieces that he wrote for the group together um, for a couple of reasons. One, because um, it's a way that Bill writes. I think um, this kind of um, it's almost like yeah uh, blocks of you know or layers of stone that are abutted against each other that have some relationship but they aren't the sort of obvious developmental relationships that that you expect in classical music um that's surprising and you have to get accustomed to that with with his music sometimes um on first listen as you say it's disorienting and and um so it was that way initially putting his music together that that he was writing for us but also he hadn't written for voices um ex just just voices um i don't know if uh at all or just very little um but more than any other composer we've written for the number of drafts that that came to the group over about a 10-day period was was crazy i mean <laughs> these pieces change so much from day to day to day to day um and and some of it was built just figuring out how to write for um this particular animal this group and, and yeah. voices and all that um so so that that sense you have on uh the first couple listens was was amplified by those qualities and the fact that it, every day you know there'd be a whole block taken out and two new blocks put in and but by the time we got to the end of the road um it not only felt beautifully written for the voice but but felt like there was this remarkable um inevitability as you move from section to section and that's what i tell people um who hear his music for the first time at least his music that he writes for us and i think it's true for a lot of his his work that at first it can feel like you're taking these kind of random sharp turns to the left and the right and up and down 
but with a little familiarity, once once you kind of have a sense of what's going to happen, then it feels totally right. And I think it's a special touch he has in his um, writing that that these this A leads to B in a way that's so great yeah. and then C feels even more right and then D and then there's some relationship of E to A even though it's not obvious right you know that sort of thing and it, and they build and and they're they have a beautiful sort of um, uh, scale to them in terms of the, the landscape anyway, yeah I, I think you're totally right I think I don't think everybody could make this work right you know very much so um you know, I'm surprised that you say that he's never written for just voices before. It doesn't sound like it. Um, it sounds like he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. But I think a lot of that he he figured out in just a few days when yeah. he was wow he was hanging out with us. Yeah, some of the chords like um are some of the cadence points that incorporate uh the whistler yeah. like in the chord. <laughs> Man, is so effective. I mean, just. Yes so awesome that in that last chord you know with the with the whistler mm-hmm. and i need to like really stress to anybody who hasn't heard the album is listening to this podcast um this piece over any other any of the others on the album i mean it, all i can do is play excerpts but man you cannot get a sense of what this piece is just from hearing one excerpt that's right you know you, and yeah and as you say i think multiple listen listens are are almost required to kind of get your head around what's going on in the piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you will be rewarded. I mean, yep. really. I mean, it, for you know, really uh, investing in it and listening to it multiple times, you will be rewarded. This is an awesome mm-hmm. piece. Um, yeah. So, well, let's check it out. Let's hear this excerpt right. from uh, from William Brittell's "Amid the Minotaurs." There is no subtlety in death, it's like a hurricane, it's like Farrakhan. There is no subtlety in death, it's like a hurricane, it's like Farrakhan. There is no subtlety in death, it's like a hurricane. It's like Farrakhan There is no subtlety in death It's like a hurricane It's like Farrakhan There is no subtlety in death It's like a hurricane It's like Farrakhan Okay, we just heard William Bertel's Amid the Minotaurs, and we're going to move on to our second excerpt, Caroline Shaw's, uh, this is from her four pieces, this is number three, Courant, and uh, this one, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in here. Um, This excerpt that I'm going to play starts with this kind of rapid breathing 
uh, in the men, you know, to create this mm-hmm. almost kind of locomotive yep. style rhythm. Yeah. Uh, and then the women uh, come over this uh, sort of rhythmic tapestry with a stylized version of what I read was George Root's hymn, Shining Shore. Is that right? That's right. Okay. Um, I didn't recognize that. I read that. So I have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think it's a, a top, uh, <laughs> one of the top hymns these right. days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so it, this sort of builds up to like a, a climactic point, you know, where there's a lot going on. There's the hymn going on. There's the, the locomotive, you know, very syncopated rhythms going on. And then you can even hear some throat singing, like at the bottom of the texture while all this is going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Caroline Shaw's piece. I mean, um, what did you think of this particular piece? And then maybe you could talk a little bit about of, uh, you know, how you approach Caroline Shaw in the very beginning to write this piece and how it was all worked out. And yeah, cause this, I mean, this is a huge one. This is the, the one that won the Pulitzer and that's right. Yeah. There's one that's gotten all the attention. So. Well, Car- Caroline wrote that piece from within the group. She's a member of the group. It's, it's the, um, of all the music on the album, it's, it's the one piece by well by a group member and that wasn't commissioned. So um, it's it's kind of ironic. <laughs> oh right. Um, that that this piece we got for free ended up being the um, the Pulitzer Prize winner. Um, and she so Courant was written the second summer we got together. She came to the residency with some sketches, uh, pretty fleshed out sketches for this this piece Courant. Um, based on some listening and studies she had done around Inuit throat singing, which is that um, that breathing, that back-and-forth breathing style that's the basis of the, the men's kind of locomotive breathing in that ex- excerpt that we're talking about. Um, so she, she had done some... Re- I, I told her we were going to have some Inuit throat singers working with the group um, that summer, so couple of months leading up to it she did some listening and research on the the technique got some understanding of it and started already threading it into her music um and the first i remember the first day we we read what she had written um we were already looking across the group like Oh God, she's done it again. This is great stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> how did we get so lucky? It was it was immediately clear within a few bars that she had some really special um, things going on and was was finding a way to use these these sounds really to in a, in such a uh, natural organic feeling manner um to create new beautiful stuff yeah well yeah i mean it's amazing how well it works together yeah you know where you take these uh seemingly disparate styles but she's put them together and it just sort of you know all melts into you know this awesome sauce exactly and one thing i love (laughs) in that excerpt that you chose even before the throat singing down low drops in when when things are just building um, building toward the climax, uh, one of the lower women, Virginia, just drops in a drone note um, of a, a, a it's a Tuvan style, um, just for several bars. It kind of swells in and swells out, and it and it has this effect. Of, uh, it's so orchestral, really. It's it's a it's a it's a reed sound, a reedy sound. Um, it's not high, but it's really intensely filled with higher frequencies, and it serves this lovely purpose in terms of building building the, the energy before the the bass drops down and does some low lower throat singing. Right, right. Okay, well let's let's check this out. Um, this excerpt from Caroline Shaw's Four Pieces. This is Courant. Uh, Mm-hmm. 
And we just heard Courant from Caroline Shaw. We're going to move on to our third excerpt from, and correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Rinda Eckert? Rindy. Rindy, okay. Rindy yeah. Eckert. Um, this was a, a name I wasn't familiar with. And uh, this he's an interesting, very interesting guy. Um, yeah. You know, it, it seems like you have a lot of people, you know, on this album, composer-wise, uh, like Caroline Shaw or Caleb Burhans or Rindy Eckert or uh, even Meryl Garbus, who all do a lot of different things and play mm-hmm. a lot of different roles. You know, they're singers and instrumentalists and... Um, in a lot of ways, uh, entrepreneurial group leaders yeah. and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this piece, uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm saying this wrong, Seska's view, Keska? Uh, Ch- Cheska's. Cheska's, Cheska's, Cheska's view. Yeah. Um, yeah, this incorporates sort of a neo yodeling. <laughs> yep. And who's the one doing the yodeling? It's Esteli Gomez. Okay. One of our sopranos. And is this something that she did, prior or is this something like a new technique that she learned not at all yeah she's she's told the story several times where you know she came into the residency this was our first year that we um met with a, a virtuosic yodeler um for a few days and um she had never yodeled she had done some uh kind of balkan bulgarian singing early in her i guess in her college high school or college days and she had also done a lot of jazz singing in high school um but she was primarily studying early music and um early opera uh has this beautiful light and um round soprano sound um but she found that she could she could yodel but she hadn't really tried it before so um i think rindy heard that she had this this ease with it um so I wrote the piece basically for her. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's amazing. It sounds like she's been doing it forever. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, really, when I heard this, I thought, okay, this is one of the reasons why Brad chose her for Room Full of Teeth. She had this special talent to yodel. That's really Not what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Not at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to ask one question. Um you mentioned, you know, that you workshop these techniques and you, and you workshop the pieces a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost seems to me, well, my formative years were playing in a rock band, right? And mm-hmm. when you play in a rock band, you're obviously not going from notated music. You just go into rehearsal and you say, here's my idea. And, you know, for lack of a better term, you sort of workshop it. That's how you kind of create yeah. the, the music. Yeah. Um, this sort of seems to be like a hybrid approach. You know, so you have some notated music, you know, could it, what I'm trying to get to here is, you know, would these pieces be possible without workshopping in that way? You know, do, is it like a new, is, it's a new approach to music, but is also a new approach to the creating the music, you know, where yeah. you're not just getting a, a paper score, you know? Right. I, I think um, certainly the, the initial generation of a lot of these pieces um where the result was the result of that sort of workshoppy um, process. There, we've we've shared some of the pieces with some other ensembles, and we've performed a couple times with other like chamber choirs and things. Um, and some degree of workshop, just coaching them on techniques. And okay, this is what it says in the score, and and this is kind of how you do that. Um, those have been necessary in all these iterations so far be, just because the um, the techniques aren't done every day by choral groups so right. you, you want to help them and then and then yeah in some instances the um, especially I'd say in Merrill's music because Merrill Garbus is not a a trained classical composer and um, notated the pieces as I mean sometimes it's it's a very well fleshed out landscape on the page that and we don't need a lot of more information but most of the time we needed her there to say to kind of sing the idea and so we get the the real inflection and articulation um to to complete the picture right. um, anyway i i i think 
we love the process. It's a it's a really um, uh, you know I, I I think that um, that experience of putting pieces together um, with a group or and whether the composer is from within the group or outside the group, not just the piece being uh, a sacred text and then everybody doing their very best to be faithful to that sacred text, which is right. great, but right. um, letting it be a little messier than that has been a lot of fun. And, and also, um, I mean, this is maybe getting taking it a little further, but uh, after Caroline won the Pulitzer for Partita uh, last spring, the next performances of those pieces was really the following fall, so this past um, September, October. And and I loved something Caroline did right away, which was write a, a sort of tour version <laughs> of of Courant. She she added a few pages, um, kind of riffed on some ideas and um, tried out some new things. And and when we did it on tour, it was it was slightly different, which is you know the kind of thing you expect from bands, from rock bands. Right. But you don't expect it from a, a classical group, when, you know, or a string quartet or an orchestra to tour with a different version of a piece that that especially has gotten some some attention. Right. Um, right. Right. But but I think her what she was doing there, the way I read it, was that she was saying, yeah, the, these pieces are alive and can take different shapes at different times. Um, so there's nothing totally sacred about that recorded performance either, even though we all love it. Right. Right. No, I think that's awesome. I mean, that's the, one of the first thoughts that I had when I was listening to the Grammy performance was, was wait a minute, this is different. Hmm. That's interesting. I've heard that from a number of people. Yeah, um, which I think is great, especially because it won the Pulitzer, you know, which is usually associated with these monolithic, unchanged pieces, you mm-hmm. know, and so no, now it's won the Pulitzer, it's scribed in stone, It, you know. Yep, yep. <laughs> and in, in a way, you know, approaching music like this, um, I, I mean, it's it's kind of like getting back to the roots of all music. I mean, this is how it was done in the beginning. Yep. You know, yep. Uh, which Absolutely. is awesome. Um, so let's, uh, let's check out this uh, excerpt from Rindy Eckert. This is Cheska's View. We just heard Cheska's View by Rindy Eckert, and we're going to move on to Meryl Garbus Kizasa. Is am I pronouncing that right? Yep, that's that's. There's a range of how we pronounce that Kizasa. word. But that's pretty much how Kizasa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about Meryl Garbus first. Um, you got to tell me how. Well, I mean, how you decided to approach her you know to write music and i Mm. i look i i applaud you for doing this because you've obviously gone you've stepped outside our little world let me just say that you know what i mean 
Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. I, and and you've you know approached somebody that's sort of you know outside our, our little contemporary uh, mm-hmm. classical world. Mm-hmm. Um, this you mentioned that this piece had to be you know workshopped a lot and I there's a video on your site of you guys working with Meryl Garbus which is really yep. interesting um, this piece sort of opens with this uh, you know and correct me if I'm wrong with any of my terminology here but um, mm-hmm. what I hear is a sort of a Bul- Bulgarian women's choir kind of sound um, and it then mm-hmm. it goes into mm-hmm. this the sort of Inuit dog and wolf game Hmm. Am I right mm-hmm. here? Yeah, definitely Inuit. That I hadn't thought of dog and wolf game, but that sounds that's cool. Yeah. Well, I think um, it was interesting because this is a game that's traditionally it's a singing thing. It's just like you know what happens in the piece, really. But it's a uh, traditionally uh, for what for women. It's a game that that's right. Inuit women play, but she has it here in the men. That's right. The men doing it. So you have this, yeah. you know role reversal kind of mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. turning things on its head um, and then back and it sort of sort of gradually works its way back into the the Bulgarian when I'm saying the Bulgarian sound yep. I guess yep again this is like a great example of taking all this stuff from different places and really you know making it work I guess you know if someone said I'm gonna write this piece and it's gonna start Bulgarian and it's gonna go into this Inuit thing and it's going to go back and be like what <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> you know? and then uh, the, the, the part that, that you left out there that's um it, in the the midsection with when the men are doing their inuit thing and um it all leads up to this short little um dramatic solo uh that virginia warnkin does yes that's really um based on uh pansori a korean singing style that's um very raw and bluesy um, and dramatic, so it's it's even weirder and and more sort of culturally hodgepodge um, than than that initial you know head spinning lineup you just described. Right, and Meryl Garbus is one. Um, she's really active with this her group called Tune Yards. That's right. Um, which is really more associated with the pop or popular music world. Yep. Than than the classical music world. So um, you mentioned, you know, she's not a trained composer and all that stuff. So how did she approach writing this piece? I mean, were, were, were there notated scores or was it mostly just kind of a workshop environment or how did this work? Um, initially, it was it was it was workshopped. She came in with ideas and would teach them to the different members of the group and then see how the groove worked and then make adjustments and then she would sing a solo line above and then if she liked that teach that solo line to a singer and so she did her own kind of workshopping with the group initially and then I think once um, her ideas got clearer after having um, heard heard how things worked in the singers voices um, then she notated it and she um, I don't know how she did it if she if it took her a long time or if she got some assistance um, but it's all um, it's all notated straight out on score hmm. now, and it, it works fine. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I this is I love this one too. Th- let's uh, let's check this one out. This is uh, Meryl Garbus, Kizasa. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
We just heard Kizasa of Meryl Garbus, and we're going to move on to our fifth excerpt uh, again from Caroline Shaw's piece. This is the Saraband from that piece, mm-hmm. and uh, this uses uh, again some more vocal techniques um, that we haven't heard yet, but particularly this um, this kind of scoop technique. I'm sorry if that's the wrong word. Yeah, no, that's that's very much that's right. Um, yeah, it's a sort of scooping from the really low uh, pitch up into, you know, uh, a harmony. I mean, it almost sounds Imogen Heapish <laughs> to me. Yeah, huh. that's true. I hadn't thought of that, but that's, uh, that's true. It kinda... um, I don't, you know, I don't know. That was just the, the first, you know, thing I thought. Uh, but mm-hmm. some really gorgeous harmonies. Um, yeah. And uh, this particular excerpt is from sort of more of the middle of the piece. Um, where they're scooping up to these harmonies and the men are singing uh, almost like Gregorian lines mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. it. And then what I love is they break into, you know, these Gregorian lines, but they start singing in almost like this power anthem <laughs> yes. style, you know? Uh, yeah, what do you think of this piece? I, I love this piece. I love this piece. It's a It's a real gem. And it's... It is. It's interesting to to think back on what uh, Caroline was making use of. I mean, that that little scoop figure that up to the chords. That that really is a. Um, it, it's it's one of many vocal gestures that this Korean pansori singing style uses. But if you listen to pansori, you wouldn't focus so much on that and say, oh, you know, that scooping thing they do from down at the bottom of their range and then back up to a real note, they do that all the time. It was a, it's, it was a passing move that happens sometimes in Pansori that, that attracted Caroline's attention. And I think she, she heard a possibility there. And then at the same um, series of workshops that summer, we had a guy, Carl Linick, who is this amazing um, singer of Georgian, uh, as in Republic of Georgia music. And one of the, the techniques that they use is a very quiet and fast um, ornamented line to kind of chant chanting or, or tunes that are, are relatively still. And then as, it des- as you descend melodically, you add all these little ornaments up and down, kind of like lace around the the melody. It's not loud, it's not dramatic, and it but it's fast and it's really beautiful. And so she, that's how she started building that that men's line was just having them all up and they're fal- all up in falsetto. And then one would do the ornamented thing while everybody else came down, and another would do an ornamented thing. And then what the heck? Let's have them pull it all out and belt for. For the climax, so yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting to think. Well, what if you didn't have access to those techniques and you just had the group? What would that piece be? Could it be anything like what it became? With those little inspirations of different vocal um, gestures, I don't know. Yeah, I, well, that's an, that's an interesting question. I mean, you know, I had this question. The same question, like years, years ago, when I saw um, 
uh, Osvaldo Goliath's uh, St. Mark Passion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, those same issues come up, you know, because he's using uh, this Venezuelan choir and, you know, these South American and Central American singers and all this stuff, and they have a very particular style. And I, that's the one of the thought I had is like, you know, can anybody else do this? Like, hmm. what would happen if you just handed this to a typical American choir? What would it sound like? Yeah. You know, yeah. would it work? Um, and right. I, I love that piece. I love it. Um, yeah. But that's, you know, it's an interesting question, you know. Um, I don't know the answer, but. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's check this out. This uh, excerpt number five from Caroline Shaw. This is Sarah Band. just heard Sarah Band from Caroline Shaw and we're going to move on to our last excerpt um, again from Meryl Garbus her piece Ansaya do you know what this, this means Ansaya it, it, it means nothing <laughs> I mean it's 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 just made up okay made up words yeah. okay yeah well okay now I don't feel so bad why well, I couldn't find what it meant um, <laughs> so this piece um it's it opens with this kind of disconnected vocalization. I don't really. It's hard for me to describe. It's almost like someone pushing keys on a sampler. I mean, it's done. It's executed so well. It sometimes hmm. it almost sounds electronic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is from sort of towards the end of the piece. Um, then it goes into this almost Irish lament. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, when you say you know the dead and gone part yeah um, yeah and it it almost seems to be from a listening perspective you know it's kind of an implied story i mean there's just obviously not enough information here that it's an actual story but mm-hmm. almost there's mm-hmm. like this some kind of imp, imp, implied narrative here mm. um yeah what do you think of this piece i think it's a really really fun piece it's 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 a hard piece actually for the group to I think completely um, lock into from a performance perspective and you know one reason is I think the um, the outside sections have a kind of basis in dance and movement that that when we're um, locked into positions on with mics on stands and and music stands with your scores it just kind of mm-hmm. ma- makes that impossible Right. Um, so I, I think there's a I love the piece but I feel like there's a, a little bit of a mismatch um, for us when we're um, parked in, in that kind of formal classical performing position or whatever per- performing position um, and seeing that, that kind of groove based stuff on the, um, the beginnings and ends um, and it's interesting that, that, you, that you hear the narrative because um, I it, it reminds me that, that Meryl had more text in the middle and she removed some of it. And I, I think um, part of that might have been to kind of help the narrative be a little more general or, or yeah. um, a- allow the listener to just project what, the, what they want rather than hear anything that, that she... Like that little bit where um, in the quiet part where the singer sing, sings, I am sleeping, I am sleeping. There was more text leading up to that 
Um, but by just leaving that I am sleeping, then you can fill in more of well, what was happening before to yourself. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, I think it. I think it works because uh, it definitely does that. It's almost like uh, looking at a sort of semi abstract piece of visual art, you know, where you're mm-hmm, looking at mm-hmm. and you're, you're just kind of like, you know, you're, you're sort of filling in the gaps and it yep. gives you a lot to think about and a lot to, uh, to ponder, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 This was, a, um, I think a great piece to close the CD with and, uh, oh, good. I'm glad you, you feel that way. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you know, fr- from everything that came before it, you know, and then uh, to end with this, you know, as you said, you know, the part where it kind of winds down, just, you know, the, the I am sleeping part. And it just it's it's a nice way. I don't know. It's just a, a nice way to end the CD, a nice mm. way to end the musical journey, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to say about this? I don't think so. I, um. OK, well, let's just check it out. This is. The last excerpt from Meryl Garbus. This is Ansa Ya. We just heard Ansaya from Meryl Garbus. And uh, what is, uh, what's next, man? What's next for Room Full of Teeth? Well, uh, lots of things coming up. Um, our, our, the next techniques we're going to wade into are very different from anything we've, we've worked on before. Um, we're going to be studying Hindu, Hindustani singing styles and Persian classical singing styles. Wow. Um, I know. I, and I have no idea what that's going to mean. I think in terms of the, it won't be as dramatically different a, a vocal color um, as, say, you know, the, the belting or the, the tube and stuff. But, but in terms of, you know, sort of articulation and vibe you know there's so much long line singing and kind of chanting with both of those traditions and ornaments and all that um i'm excited to to see what what evolves that way yeah um and i we're hoping to record our next album this summer um and a lot of that music i've already got lined up um ready to go so yeah anything you want to divulge or do you want to save it (laughs) I think I think I want to save it. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. agree with you. 
<laughs> you should save it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I had to try though. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. Well, uh, if if there's anything else you want to plug or you know pimp before you go. Hmm. Yeah. No. I th- I think. Um, I mean, I would encourage if any if you if any listeners are are respond to any of the pieces by the particular composers, definitely follow up. Um, on those composers' other works, yes. um, it's all out there, not hard to find, um, and and just revisiting uh, Bill Bertel's catalog. I think, um, as we were saying before, uh, repeated listenings of his stuff, his instrumental things, um, also are are really fantastic. And I'm trying to think the couple composers we didn't hit today: Judd Greenstein, Sarah Kirkland Snyder. Um, also have great music on the album and great music out there. So yes. I would encourage people to check them out if they don't know their work as well. Definitely. And uh, yeah. as I always say on the show, you know, it's great if you want to go listen to it on Spotify or whatever. But, you know, if you like it, go out and buy it and support these artists. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And we also love to hear from people and like just just hearing your specific responses to tunes is, is something I don't get all that much from people people will um say they they like the album or of course we since caroline's um piece is out there um that's getting a lot of attention but even then people will say generally they like it but they you know to drop into a particular piece and say i love this part or this is my um this is my experience listening to this piece this is what i thought at first this is what i think you know now um that kind of thing is really i i think for any artist, it's it's very gratifying, even if it isn't all positive. So, if anybody out there wants to get in touch, either through Facebook or, you know, our website, um, I love hearing specific feedback about uh, listeners' responses to this music. Awesome. Well, that's that's great that you're that open uh, to fans and you know people that want to discuss. That's awesome. Yeah. So okay, man. Well, thank you so much for coming oh, on the you, show no, yeah I, it was, I so appreciate your your careful attention to this this music oh man no thank you for this music and your continued dedication to um really expanding what the voice can do and um i'm really looking forward to the next album thanks we are too all right well, take care you too anthony bye-bye and i just want to say thanks again to brad for coming on it was a lot of fun talking to him about the music and uh you know, really interesting to hear about the composers and the process and it's uh, really cool. So thank you, Brad, for taking the time to come on. If you would like to follow the show, you can do so at our new website, which is at soundnotion.tv slash ACP. And you can post comments and you can also follow us on Twitter um, at twitter.com slash Anthony Landman. You can join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page where we can sort of interact and talk about the shows. And that is about going to do it for this episode. If you would like to really do us a favor, you can head to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review, and that will help us be able to reach new listeners and uh, be able to have people find our podcast more easily um so we would really appreciate it if you like the show to head to itunes and leave us a review and a rating even if you think uh the show sucks <laughs> whatever <laughs> just head there and um tell us what you think so uh that is going to do it for this episode of all the cool parts and we will see you all next time later <laughs>